before we uh, open his word. Dear Father in heaven, this is called a service, dear Father, because we know that ultimately the one who serves us is Jesus Christ, is thy Son. The Holy Spirit within us is the one who meets our needs in this hour as we open thy word, as we read it, as we think about the words that were penned so long ago that are true and living. And so we're thankful, dear Father, for that, for the grace that has been promised to be poured out during this time in spite of the weakness of whoever would proclaim thy word, dear Father, and his own needs and uh, need for service. Dear Father, this morning hour, we thank thee for this opportunity. We thank thee for the good news we've, we've heard just this morning. And dear Father, thou art so gracious beyond our and above our understanding. And we want to pray that and want to believe that even when we don't uh, see good outcomes in front of us, when we see maybe a difficult road ahead. And as we know, each one of us has our challenges and our uh, burdens to bear. But dear Father, we instead look to Jesus. We instead look to the one who experienced it all for us, the one who shed his blood, the one who is willing to, to be in every circumstance, to give us that grace, to, to love us, dear Father, in a way that makes everything right. Dear Father, it is in the name of Jesus, in the confidence of what he has done, that, that we can ask for thy presence now, that we can open this word, that we can understand it, dear Father, that then we can do these things. It is because of Jesus, because of what he's done. Dear Father, we realize that anything we do in our lives will be measured by that, and, and, and its worth will be determined by that, whether Jesus is praised, whether he is lifted up, whether we are conformed to his image. That's our prayer this morning hour, that the new man that is created in Christ Jesus would live and walk and breathe within us. Dear Father, we pray this in his name. Amen. For this morning's meditation, I'd like to turn to the epistle to the Ephesians, chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us, through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, 
and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. I've read to the end of the chapter. May God bless the reading of his word. Let us bow before the Lord in prayer. O loving Father in heaven, great art thou, Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of thy holiness, beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth, is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great God. O Lord, we come unto this mount, no longer Mount Horeb, where even if a, a beast would touch it, would be speared through, that burst out into fiery furnace, and where the voice of God was heard through thy servant Moses. Lord, we pray that now that we have come to another mount, Mount Zion, the place where just men are made perfect, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice on Mount Calvary. O oh Lord, we thank thee for your many, many blessings. We thank Thee, Lord, for being our God, our Creator, and our Redeemer, 
through thy son Jesus Christ. You are also our provider and healer. And we give you thanks for all the many answered prayers and even as we heard this morning for the wonderful news that you have provided a donor for our dear sister Olga in her brother Zoli. Oh Lord, we can see that men of this earth are limited in their knowledge and they have given some sound advice to seek in Europe for a solution. But you have come back and said, no, seek in Canada in her very front door. And so it is that many times we look for an answer and yet it is right before us. And you reveal to us in your time. And you are the God that is near and that answers prayer. All praise, all honor and glory be unto thee. O Lord, we now only pray and thank thee for this great news, but we pray also for those that have been under duress and illness for a long time. We're thankful to see <clears throat> Brother Greg and Sister Nancy back in church. We pray that you continue to work in their lives and give them healing. We have heard of several that <clears throat> are sickly and shut in, that have extended greetings. We pray that you'd be with them all. Those that are still undergoing chronic illness, we pray that you'd continue to work in their lives and that we'd be patient and wait for your response. Father, we thank thee that we are able to now gather this morning in your house of worship. In this time of great controversy, of differences of opinion, of varying consciences, that we could all be one in Christ that we would tarry one for another that we would forbear one another there would be long-suffering because in doing so we have the mind of Jesus Christ father in heaven we pray for those that are grieving lost loved ones for the Weinhardt family as we have heard who was a faithful soldier of the cross the that you called many, many decades ago to serve you, Brother Conrad. We pray that you'd be with him and his dear wife who is, has been in a nursing home for such a long time. Comfort the family. We thank you, Lord, for the legacy that he has left. We thank you, Lord, also for Sister Mary who apparently was a member in this very congregation of Toronto many, many years ago. We thank you that she had faithfully served her husband who was debilitated for decades and now is in a, a coma in a hospital. Oh Lord, we know that it is sad for us to hear this, but we know that they are passing to the other side of Jordan. 
And so too our day will come that we must cross the river. Lord, we pray that everyone can cross over to the other side to the, in, on that river Jordan as we have studied in the book of Kings. Lord, we pray that everyone here that is in earshot of this word will hear the word that goes forth this morning and the words of the hymn that we have sung to haste to save their souls forever. Tomorrow may be too late. Father, we pray that the word will go forth in its power and its simplicity and that it would enter into good ground, into hearts that are prepared and open and receptive. For only these hearts can be truly converted by the Spirit of God because he will not convert against our will. He will not force us. He wants our love to be free and offered freely because of who you are, because of what Christ did, because of his love for us. Be with us, Lord, we pray for Caleb Jarvine, who also has a blood clot. We pray that you would help wherever this has come from to give him healing and that he would be reminded that you are a great God and good God and you want to give him full spiritual healing. We have many that are unconverted, Lord, and we pray for them this morning. Be with us now, uh, be with our dear brother as he would expound your word. And may all things redound to your glory as we put your word into practice, as we go about our everyday lives. We ask and pray and give you thanks in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. I was warned once in the early days of preaching not to um, make too many statements about myself in terms of um, referencing myself or, or trying to humble myself because it draws a little bit too much attention to the preacher and that's uh, certainly not my intention but I want to acknowledge at the, at the outset of our meditation on what we read that I am not uh, dividing this word to you or preaching it because I have a uh, um, great qualifications, or I'm exceptionally gifted, or uh, I have some deep in-depth knowledge. It's only on the basis that I am a new man in Christ Jesus, that I can preach these things, and it's only on the basis that I love as Jesus loves, that I can be his mouthpiece and speak these words to you in a way that will have any real impact, real value. It's only because I believe these things and I've seen them in my life, seen them to be true. That's the, the one basis that anyone can preach this word. And any of you can share that word, really, in a truly effective way. It's only as you believe this new man in Christ and as you see it formed within you. There's no other basis. Not any school that you can go to or a set of experiences or a set of steps that you can take. 
It is only as the new man is created in you, in Christ Jesus, as you are saved by faith in him, as you are created as a new man, his workmanship, that then you can share these things with others. And that's my prayer this morning is, is that would be shared with those who desperately need it. You know, the truth is this morning there are people in this room that are dead. And there are people in this room that are alive. That's a shocking statement you think about it. We're all living, we're all breathing. We're all uh, here physically, hopefully mentally. But how many of us are spiritually alive? And this scripture explains itself. It explains what dead means and it explains what alive means. And those are the only definitions that matter. Not uh, any definition you may have or concept of what living is or what you think your life should be about. It describes here very clearly what dead is. You were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. And, and there's two things that come out to me in this, in verses 2 and 3, that really to me encapsulate, that describe this dead state. Number one, in verse 3, you're fulfilling the lusts of your flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We all have flesh and blood, every one of us in this room. There's no, there's no difference there. Between the Christian and the non-Christian, we all inhabit the same bodies. We all have the same flesh. You may even have the same desires. But whether we fulfill those desires, whether we follow that flesh, whether we give in to that, is the difference between being dead and being alive. That and verse 2, walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of this air, following the spirit that is around us. What is within us and what is around us being evidence of our deadness. So what does it mean to be spiritually dead? Some people would take the scripture and say uh, it means that you're completely unresponsive to God. That you basically can't, um, there's no, um, you're like a corpse. And I don't think that's the intent of this passage. And if you read the rest of scripture too, you'll, you'll get a sense of what spiritual death is. Because it's described in other ways. It's, people have that problem of taking the, the metaphor, as it were, or, the, or this, this, uh, this language too far. It talks about, in Scripture, being blind. It talks about, in Scripture, being in darkness, or sick, or lost. Those are also descriptors of this spiritual death. So being spiritually dead is not a state of being completely unresponsive to God. In that state of death, the gospel comes to you. In that state of death, you still have a choice whether you're going to respond to the truth or whether you're going to continue in that state of deadness. No, spiritual death is a state of separation, a state of distance from God. And that ultimately, that settled my mind because I've struggled a bit. I look around, you see the, the people in your neighborhood, they're good people, they live nice lives, things are tidy, they're, uh, they're not bad people. Are they spiritually dead? Are they really... What's their connection to God, the one who made them? What's their relationship with their creator? The Bible says that can only happen through Jesus Christ. So any nice thoughts that you and I may have about God and um, who he is and uh, 
our purpose on earth, if that's not through Christ, if it's not informed by who he is and his call for us and his demands on us, it, it means nothing. <laughs> it's Christ says, I never knew you, and, and we have no place with God. We're spiritually dead. So that's what spiritual death is. My friend outside of Christ, do you really believe you're spiritually dead? And it may, you may have a hard time believing that, but I, I propose a simple test for you. Try to not live according to the lusts of your flesh, the, fulfilling the desires of your flesh and of your mind, as it says here. Try that. Simple test. And the death will become apparent. The Romans 7 cry will, will hopefully, if, if you allow, if the, the way that God's directing you, that cry of, Lord, who will deliver me from this body of death? That cry that realization of your death, of your depravity, your, your separation from God will lead you then to Christ. But if you don't realize you're spiritually dead, if you don't realize that there's something drastically wrong with you, with your state of being, Christ will have no meaning. This new life, this new man that's in Christ will have no meaning for you. Simple test. Try living. Not fulfilling a not a, a me-centered life, a, a life that's ultimately everything comes back to you and, and, and what your desires are. Try, try to do that, and I think you'll, you'll quickly realize. So the apostle describes that, and, and he, just in case anyone has any confusion, even as a Christian, he says, we all, all had our conversation, our manner of life. Every one of us, our manner of life in the times past was a lustful, uh, uh, fleshly way of living, even if we were good boys and girls. And I know that for myself. I was a quote-unquote good boy and girl. I was a good boy. And um, if someone would judge me from the exterior, they'd think there's nothing really wrong with this guy. He likes to go to church. He likes to, to sing. He likes to, to participate in music. He likes to do the things in, in church. But my family and those that are close, and really ultimately me, that's the one that really mattered, I knew how miserable I was because I was separated from God. I knew I, I didn't have salvation and my life showed it. I was bondage, I was in bondage, I was captive to my flesh and to a way of thinking that was death. As a result of this, scripture says here, we are by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Doesn't mean necessarily that we get upset, but we are, the, we are under the wrath of God. We are under his wrath. That's a serious statement, you know. You, you could think you can live your life a certain way with, with I'm going to live it according to my terms and I'm not going to be beholden to anyone or anything, any other set of ideas. But at the end of the day, you will have to answer to the wrath of God. And that, again, that may be a, a stumbling block for you. But think about it from God's perspective. You are dead in trespasses and sins. Sin may not mean much to you, but trespass. What, what's a trespass? When you trespass on someone's property, you, you go outside their bounds, or you go within their bounds. It's some place that's not yours, and, and uh, um, depending what it is, you, um, there's certain punishments, certain dangers. 
we all have trespassed on what is not ours. We've all exceeded the boundaries. We've all pushed into the areas, the things that do not belong to us, that God has said, you shall not eat thereof. Clearly, each one of us has, has done that. We've decided, we've wanted to live our lives our own way, apart from his salvation, apart from Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and that's the reason that the wrath of God abides. It's not because uh, there is some uh, inherent um, evil genetics in us in the sense of, of, of a baby is, 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 uh, is condemned under this wrath or we somehow inherit this. It's not. No, each one of us that come to that age and realize what sin is and then go and do it, deliberately cross that line, deliberately rebel, each one of us, the wrath of God abides on us. And it's not a matter of, of inherited sin in that sense, even though each one of us from, have inherited from Adam our sinful nature. No, it's when that manifests, then we are under the wrath of God. And it and, and doesn't matter if we acknowledge that or not, one day it, we will have to acknowledge that. So that's dark and it's strong and it's, uh, um, it's condemning. But the next verse sets it all right. It, this is only really revealed, this, this condemnation of all mankind is only truly made clear in the New Testament at the same time that the grace of God is revealed. And, and what a wonderful, gracious God that would do that. That as he makes his judgment exceedingly clear, he also then holds up Jesus Christ as the solution to that. And, and that is my <laughs> consolation in any difficult question. You know, when someone asks those questions, why, why are good people going to hell? Why, why would God create a world in which uh, there's so many people that are spiritually dead that are, are separated from him? Why are so few people saved? The only thing I can turn back to and hold on with confidence is Jesus Christ. That this world has been created it, 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 the way it is with mankind having the choice that he has and yet God has chosen of his own free will, of his own great mercy to solve this problem. And that solution is being held out now to everyone. That is the power of the gospel. The same word that cuts and that is, uh, condemns and, and, and reveals sin and the extent of our condition is the same word that heals, that restores, that creates a new man. And the choice is ours. In our dead state, do we respond to that? But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Not that he just loved, not just a... Um, a generic sort of thing, a very specific. He loved you. He loved me in our sin, in our wickedness, in our separation from him. And that changed everything. That should change everything for you. And on that basis, now life can begin. New life can begin on that basis. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, he loved us at that point. He has now made us alive together with Christ. And he has to remind us again, by grace, you are saved. Lest anyone tries to think or, or, or is tempted to think that this is, um, there's some merit involved here, there's some working on my part. No, no, no. This is totally God-initiated. He is the one who plans salvation, 
who, who made all the contingency for it, laid it all out before the world ever began, because of his character, because of who he is. And on that base, basis, you can be made alive. And he hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Before we walked, according to the course of this world, erratic, um, uh, confused, wandering. But now we have a place we can sit in Christ in heavenly places. We have a place in heaven reserved for us. And this truth, this amazing story of God's grace, there's not going to be a new chapter to it. It's not going to be some new thing in eternity. This is the basis that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. This is going to be the story. What you know here and now as a believer in Jesus Christ, the new man that you are now, those, those things that you know, that's going to be the basis for a, a glorious song in eternity. We will only discover more of God's character. We will only get to know him better, but it will be all on the basis of this. The, the riches that he's poured out in Christ Jesus, that to me just, I already in some sense know what heaven's gonna be like. Even though no, what's in store for us, no one can describe. And we don't even know what we will be like completely when we see him, First John 3 says. But I do know Jesus Christ and how much he loved me. And that fact, that story of his love that has changed my life completely, has given me new life, that's gonna be the basis of time out of mind and then we come to these verses here 8 9 10 which are well known well loved and with good reason because they are uh, so perfectly complete for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God really clear really clear to understand that not of works lest any man should boast then verse 10, the completeness, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Anytime we try to separate these things out, and we're going to have the doctrine of salvation over here on this page, and the doctrine of sanctification over here on this page, um, doing so does a disservice to the whole word of God. Trying to compartmentalize and say, these are the the things we understand uh, about this category of God's working and this category, no, they're, they're together. They're in one person, in relationship to Jesus Christ, into who he is and how much I know him. And when I try to separate those things out, well, I am saved, but, you know, the sanctification part, the part of be, being made holy, that's not, you know, I'm not so interested in that. I, I, I don't, you know, yeah, it's not so important. No. Eight, nine, ten are together. They're complete. The whole word is a complete word. And uh, we dare not separate things out and say, well, this is, we're going to understand this, put this in this category and that in that category. It's all the whole word of God. We are his workmanship. Even in that. It's a such a beautiful picture that God has now created us as a new man, equipped us completely as a new man to do those good works. It's not like I've been saved and now I gotta come up with something. I gotta uh, reach into my back pocket and try to do something. No, no, no. He's fully equipped me in Christ Jesus to be this new creature that will do these good works that God has planned all along. If we want to talk about predestination, 
that's the, been the plan all along, that I should walk in those works, as Romans 8.29 says. This is a glorious gospel. And my friend outside of Christ, who are dead in Christ, uh, from Christ, separated from God, a big part of your deadness is, is, is just not realizing the state you're in and what awaits you in Christ Jesus, this new life. You may think you have attained, you may think, yeah, I believe, but if this new life that is in Christ Jesus that's described here in these pages, this workmanship that you've been created unto good works is not within you, is not formed within you, you should really question, am I really alive? Am I really connected to the vine, Jesus Christ? The second part of this chapter here starts to now go on a different tack or extend from that new life that's created in Christ Jesus. And it's exciting. And we have to remember the man who was writing this. Uh, this was probably the, one of the central issues, central battles that he faced was this church that Jesus Christ had created, was it going to be split? Was it going to be divided between Jews and Gentiles? Were there going to be some sort of division, some, some second-class Christians or different type of Christians? Or um, was it going to be uh, Jesus plus the law? Read about it in Acts. You can see all of what he went through and, the, and the, those, those struggles in the early church to to work out the plan of salvation. I, I don't know exactly how to describe it, but really to think God entrusted the early church to figure this out. Acts 15, the council where they're uh, deciding, do the Gentiles need to keep the law? God would entrust his followers, the followers of Christ Jesus, to, to listen to the Holy Spirit within them and be directed and guided. Amazing. And now Paul reveals this is God's plan. It wasn't completely clear. When Jesus was here on this earth, he, he, he preached to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That, that's what he said, even though he, he, in his grace and in his mercy, he spoke to the Samaritan woman. He spoke to uh, um, the, the uh, widow uh, or the woman who had the, the, the daughter that was, or the son that was afflicted. I um, can't remember now. Christ clearly in his ministry, he showed the basis on, on, on extending God's grace to the whole world, but it was not completely clear in the early church, and the Lord led them step by step through Peter and Cornelius, through, through that, that interaction, through brothers in the church, Jewish brethren that thought, no, it's important that we need to keep the law, and as that was worked out, and as they then listened to the Holy Spirit and agreed, no, I guess that's not the case, that the, the Gentiles don't need to keep the law. Now it's revealed Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past, Gentiles in the flesh, uncircumcision, by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. That's quite a mouthful there, but quite a description. Really, of everyone that is outside of Christ. Everyone that is down to this, this present day, you really don't have any hope. You don't have God in this world with you. You know, some people like to think about God as being in heaven and one day I'll see him, and, and, but they really don't have God in this world. They don't have an, a living relationship with him here and now based on his word. 
and they are strangers from, from the covenants of promise. But now, Paul reveals, but now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Yesterday we were at the, the OMAC meeting, we were talking about unity and, and uh, striving for unity and, and things that, that build up and, and points of division and things like that. And it struck me as I read this chapter here that unity is, it was brought out in, in that uh, topic, but unity is something that's created by God in this new man. It is a property of the new man. Each one of us that's been recreated in Christ, if we are recreated in him, unity will work out. Anything that's, that pulls apart from that unity with other believers, other true believers, is not part of the new man. It's, it's division, it's, it's uh, uh, building up those walls of partition again. No, Paul had to explain very clearly, Christ, in Christ there is one Christian. There's one type of Christian. There's not a Jewish Christian, a Gentile Christian. It's one. He's broken down the middle wall of partition. He's brought those that were afar off and those that were close nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. If you read that quickly, you might skip over that, but to realize it's not he has accomplished our peace, he is our peace. That is the basis on which we can have peace internally, that, that we can have that settled uh, uh, sense, not just a sense, but knowledge of our state with God, and then our peace with each other, with my brother and sister. He is the peace between us. He makes the peace between us. The new man that's created in him is what allows me then to long, be long-suffering, to be tender-hearted, to, to, to love and to care. And if I, I, I can't do that, or if I think it's not possible, in a way I'm saying I don't really believe in the power of Jesus Christ within me to make me new. For he is our peace. He came and preached peace to you that were far off and, and to them that were nigh. And now in the last part of, these, of this chapter, he describes now the, the, the point I think he's driving towards. Remember the first chapter of Ephesians, he kind of uh, built up the end of the chapter to talk about the church, the, his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And now he describes it in more detail. And he's going to keep doing that in the remaining chapters. You are no more strangers and foreigners. Each one here is a, a fellow citizen with the saint. We are part of the household of, of God. We are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And I think, you know, this next verse here, it's often been, I think maybe even from this pulpit, maybe in the, um, in the dedication. I can't remember exactly, but the example given on the wall behind us, the stone wall that's fitted together, all those stones that are fitted, that are chosen, and then the mortar that's keeping them together. That mortar is the Lord Jesus Christ. And any part where the things become unstuck, where that stone becomes loose, is because that stone is not connected to Jesus Christ, is not plugged in to him. And being plugged in to him, connected to him, surrounded by him, is what enables me to be affixed to the other people, to be joined fitly together as a stone in God's glorious building that he is building, that he has the plan of. I was thinking this morning, um, as the, the 
kids wake up, they kind of come down one by one and uh, want to sit in my lap. And when there's one, that's nice, it's all cuddly. And then the next one comes, and there's still room, they're small enough, there's room for, for all of them in my lap, but there's not room if they start fighting, if they start pushing at each other, and, and I, don't, I don't want you here, I just want dad myself, basically. Then there's no room in dad's lap. Then I can't embrace them all when they're fighting, when they're pushing at each other. I think that's a picture of God's love. God's love can embrace everyone. He can wrap his arms around the whole world. He has that mercy and that, that grace. But he can't. He chooses not to do it if there is fighting, if there's going to be pushing between the siblings. They can't both sit in dad's lap that way. And uh, brothers and sisters, God's plan for us is to be fitly joined together, is to be stuck together in Jesus Christ. May he accomplish that in our lives through this new man, Jesus Christ, this new life. My friend outside of Christ, wake up. Realize you're dead. You're apart. You're separated from God. You can be made alive, be his workmanship, and be formed and, and put in his, uh, his plan, his body. May the Lord bless the word. Yesterday was the 20th anniversary of the World Trade Center destruction. And when I look into specifically this chapter, it speaks to the core of why this happened. When we say that man's heart is depraved, as we heard, depraved really means corrupted. It is not so corrupt that it cannot respond to God. When Adam died in the gardens, literally that day, he started to die physically and he died spiritually, being separated from God, as we heard. He could still hear the voice of God in the cool of the day. And he could still respond to God, even though his, if you will, his spirit was depraved. And the, the issue is not, will man always perform at his utmost evil level? No. But we saw that day, 20 years ago, when I walked into my office that morning, they were talking all about it. I didn't even know what the World Trade Center was. But I saw the images. And from the depraved, evil, corrupt mind, of individuals who wanted to take revenge on America, 2,977 people lost their lives. 450-odd emergency workers. One policewoman that was in the building. And if you think that man comes out of nothing and will go back into nothing, and that'll be the end of human history when the world implodes, if you will. We've got to give a lot of answers in our own mind. Is that really? That's it? When one man can just annihilate the lives of 2,977 people, separate loved ones, when Hitler and Stalin can eliminate 26 million people within a period of 20 years, 
when others could destroy 50 million people in China and whatever else, and, and that's it? There's no morality? We're like beasts? Is that what depraved means? God is the God of his moral law. God is the God of love. And when man rebels against God, man rebels against his laws, there will be a judgment. There will be a reckoning. As we read in that song and sung in that song, that for the judgment day is coming. Repent before it's too late. You may not have sinned like Osama bin Laden and his followers and the 19 hijackers or Hitler or Stalin or Pol Pot from Cambodia. You may not have sinned that immensely. But any rebellion against God is sin and will deserve hellfire. The ultimate sin of any man or woman upon this planet is the rejection of the blood of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. It was an eternal sacrifice with eternal consequences. And as we read, we are without Christ, without God, until we received his gift of grace, accept his sacrifice, and become newborn creatures and born into his commonwealth. Jews, Gentiles, barbarians, Scythians that accept the grace of Jesus Christ. We can't answer all the questions on suffering and, and, and illness and disease and wars and so forth. We can't answer them all. We can always pick apart certain things and say, what about that? And we're looking for answers. And then we find that answer and then we go look for other answers. And we find that answers and we're looking always for answers. But the answer is in Jesus Christ. Will you, in simple faith, as the message was preached, in power and in simplicity, will you in simple faith consider that? And not just listen to the sermon as, yeah, I've heard this before, or it's... it's pretty well spoken, eloquent, but how does that verse and that word now apply to me? Can I truly look at that verse and stare it in the face and study it and follow it and it not have an impact on me? I pray that it does. And may God be glorified through it, to him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.